0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.
1: People should just always keep an open mind that the way things are is not the way it has to be. Not that it's easy to make changes or anything like that. And that's
2: the way I would leave it. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org.
0: From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect Radio Show and Podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities cities communities and lives. Our show today is recorded at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Foster City, California, hosted by Architecture Aficionado and Principal of Accurate, Tom Diorro.
2: Thank you, darling. For our guest today, please welcome Ellis Shoiket, Principal EASA Architecture. EASA Architecture specializes in providing creative architectural design services with unwavering attention to detail in design, service, and execution. For more information, feel free to visit www.easaarchitecture.com. That's EASAarchitecture.com. Hello, Ellis. We're excited and honored to have you on The Modern Architect today. Hi, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. We're really uh, happy here at the uh, Crown Plaza here. Um, Ellis, can you share with us some, some early inspirations for how you became an architect, like where you are now, and if you can recall some early inspirations, like when it kind of struck you that, you know what, I really like this field, or I think I'm going to become an architect. I don't know how, however it occurred, as far back as you can recall, I'd love to hear it. I don't know if it was ever an intentional decision. Okay.
1: Uh, I just sort of fell into it.
2: Did you really? uh,
1: Yeah, I I just sort of fell into it. When I was in high school, our high school had a very good drafting program. And my brother, my older brother, Sandor, took one of the classes. And so when I arrived at the high school, I took one of the classes. And then the next year, I took another one. And the next year, (laughs) I took another one. And the next year, I took another (laughs) (laughs) another one. And I just kind of got into it. Yeah. And so the next step was to go to an architecture school because yeah. I always enjoyed it. And it's um, it's something that uh, has become over the years pretty integral. It's just what I do. Yeah.
2: So it, so it wasn't sort of a calling, so to speak. Um, well, I
1: don't know that it was a calling. No. Okay. No. It's just it's kind of what I do. Yeah. I'm so- well adapted to it at this point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, how did you begin once you went to uh, you went to school obviously for it, and uh, did your love of it grow, or did your liking of it? Did your hatred of it grow? <laughs> what was your emotional or personal experience as you continued on to your uh, uh, to where you are now Well, it was
1: always something that I enjoyed doing, and the further I got into it, the more challenging it becomes and I think that the only conscious thing that was always sort of somewhere in my mind is, is that many things are very easy to do, and this was always something that was a challenge. And for better or for worse, I decided that I wanted to do something that was challenging, and in many years recently, you know, I, I wonder whether that was the right decision. Really? Doing something that was always challenging and always, you know, increasingly challenging as time goes by rather than increasingly uh, easy to do. Yeah, how so? so?
2: Like... It, Share with us a couple of examples that make it so challenging. Well, I think with architecture and with
1: design in general, but I think maybe architecture is sort of like the leading example of it, is is that you have, you have to have a solution that works artistically, but it also has to work practically. It has to be constructible. It has to be safe. And it has to be something that is you know, as we're finding out more and more these days, resource efficient and hopefully sustainable, using the word in quotes, Uh, but um, there's so many different aspects to it that pulling them all together and balancing the pros and cons and the various sort of uh, relative importance of them in each particular situation Mm -hmm. is, is, is quite a challenge. And every job is completely different. So the relative importance of the various uh, aspects of these things change with every job. And um, I think that's a good recipe for challenge.
2: Yeah, how is it working with cities or design review boards? Is that new each time as well?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. And um, it's always on my mind, particularly these days, but always uh, that change is a difficult subject for a lot of people. And if you sort of dig down to the, to the roots of a design review, to the roots of zoning even, it's all about managing change and managing expectations for people and their environments. So you have a town and uh, the town sets rules and the purpose of those rules are to regulate change, regulate expectations about what the town's supposed to be like. And the fact is, is that, you know, if you take... Northern California is an example, okay. you know, uh, hundreds of years ago, it was just, you know, wildlands, and there were Native Americans <laughs> living here. And, and, you know, maybe with the Spanish co- colonization, there were some houses here and there and, and some agriculture. And then, you know, things developed. And then post-war, there was a lot of development. So the idea that, um, that the way that you see something today when you go buy your house or rent your apartment is the way it's supposed to be, the way it always has been, and the only way it can be is problematic you know, when you're trying to, to develop things and make things change for the better. So that's really sort of the edge where it's where the rubber hits the road in the sense that you have communities of people who believe they bought their house and this is the way the community was when they bought their house. Mm-hmm. And so it can't change. It's not fair to change it. And then you have the, the general sort of impetus of uh, people needing to come in and things needing to change and things needing to grow and all of that, coming in and conflicting with that. And so it's, that's, that's why design review is always a challenge, because you will always have people who don't want what you're doing, or most of the time, unless you're doing something that is exactly the same as what's always been done. So as soon as you try to do anything that's different, for a good reason or for a bad reason, there's always some some uh, some friction there.
2: Yeah. How how do you work with the uh, the neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhoods when they they have an opinion on the work that you're doing or your clients doing? Is it do you have a a process that you go through like pre- presentation? Like here's what we're going to be doing for this project, and here what are some of your questions? What what type of Kind of process. If you have one, do you go through? Well, one? well
1: sort of in the in the vein of yeah. each project being completely different. That would be a perfect example of it. Is that in every case where the neighbors have an input into what you're doing, uh, the process will be somewhat different. And in some cases, the cities have a process that's pre-prepared that you have to go through. But that doesn't mean that it's the right process to do. So we might sort of do more or uh, you know other things in addition to what the city requires. But in general, yeah, I always try to do sort of a pre-review with the relevant neighbors, the neighbors who are going to be affected, showing them what we're thinking of doing before the design is really too far along. However, that's hard to do because sometimes you end up finishing the design and then having to go back and show the neighbors what you did, but pretend like it's not done. Yeah. But um, in every case, it's a little different. And then in some cases, you know, where you're doing something that's clearly okay with going to be okay with the neighbors and it's not a problem and you're really just going through a mandated bureaucratic process to check off the boxes, that's not a problem. There's other instances where you know that what you're doing is going to be strongly opposed by the people you're talking to. And that's... Beforehand. Before. Oh, you know okay walking in beforehand you're building a uh, building a four-story building in front of their living room windows you know something like that this happens and it's actually i'm working on a project now and i'm sure many people you know have experienced similar kinds of things where something that's being uh, proposed is not ideal relative to that person's current situation and all of that because not everything can be perfect from every point of view another sort of thing that goes along that line of complication it could be a beautiful building it could be what everybody needs it could be housing it could be retail it could be this or that but it could be in front of somebody's living room window (laughs) and there's nothing that you can do about that so that's a tough one but what I try to do is I try to be open and honest about it show them what we're doing acknowledge the fact that it's not ideal for them encourage them to come to whatever hearing or process you you know brief them on what the process is and then we just have to have it out in front of the public agency uh, or hearing and see where the public benefit lies.
2: Yeah. Does it ever get contemptuous? Yes. It Really? You yes. said that quickly. Yeah. Oh Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. where everybody's happy, everybody's happy. And where everybody's not happy, you know, people who are not happy tend to express it. That's what the <laughs> system encourages. And, you know, I think that, you know, one kind of way to look at it is, is that um, if you're in some sort of a society or a condition where you have no say in anything then you're not used to speaking up about things and if you're in a situation or a society where you're used to being able to control your environment then if something's going to change in your environment you're very well motivated and adept at protecting your environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, specifically in the Bay Area, we have a lot of people who are very (laughs) adept at protecting their environment (laughs) because they've worked very hard to get where they are and to get the environment they have. And, uh, you know, many of them are very very strong believers that what they have is what they deserve and should keep and nobody should have any any impact on that.
2: Oh, and is that with a lot of your clients? If not most, if not all, maybe?
1: Well, I think everybody is multifaceted. You can't okay. generalize. I mean, I think one client might be developing something where it's pushing somebody else's environment, but then if somebody develops something that pushed their environment, it would be a big problem. Yeah. So I think every you, you
2: can't you
1: can't generalize in that sense.
2: Yeah. So speaking of changes, obviously your office is going under uh, uh, some of the changes. How has that even impacted your practice in that you have so many variables at all times? And how, to keep, how do you keep command over over or with it? Uh, is, there such, is that the right word? I mean, to have command over your all these variables and adjustments that you constantly have to deal with.
1: Well, I think the word is control. Command might not be exact.
2: The exact I'm trying to actually word. lighten the word control, but I guess it's making it even more uh, tight-fisted sounding. So how do, you, how do you control it? Well, you don't. I, <laughs> I, I mean, you I try. I You <laughs> don't. Okay. You, 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 try yeah. to, you try. I mean, that's okay. the
1: thing is, is that there are many different things going on. And in order to have the ideal outcome, you know, my job is to control all of those variables. But, of course, I can't. I can't control what the client wants, and I can't control... What the client's thinking and i can't control what the client thought last week and what they're going to think next week and uh, i can't control what the public agencies are going to do or say although i can sort of have my you know feelers out and understand what they're likely to feel and say you know and i can predict what neighbors are going to say and do but i can't know for sure and i certainly can't control what they're going to say and do and then you know the the technology changes, the codes change the uh, the regulatory agencies, the plant the planning department staffs, the planning department officials, the building department, the building inspectors, and that's just a you know, small number of the variables every day, so uh, I, I don't know I mean. You specify a window, and and the product that you specified isn't available anymore. Uh Uh, You specify a paint, and that paint doesn't, you specify it for outdoors, and it doesn't work outdoors. You have to use, it can only be indoors, so then you have to re-specify. I mean, it goes from the very, very largest things where you can't necessarily control, you know, what's going to happen with the zoning ordinances and the building codes down to the smallest thing where you can't control what, critical piece of your project some manufacturer is going to discontinue right at the time you, you need it <laughs> and you just it's really just a, manage, a, a matter of trying to swim through all of these different currents and at each point try to find what the optimum thing to do is to move the client's project forward to meet the goal of the client
2: yeah what are some of the joys that you experience through that what kind of a Visceral effect do you have when you see a project or you have a client that you, you guys are in sync with each other about a project. What's
1: well, I, I guess there's there's two aspects to that that are kind of interesting that might be interesting to to mention is first of all it's um, what I do probably 99% of what I do is managing and you know all of these bureaucratic things and business and fees and billing and all of those kinds of things and taxes and insurance policies uh but there's one percent or maybe a half a percent of the time when i'm actually designing something okay and i love that i just love that it's like when i have an hour where i've just been at the desk designing something i come away with just this feeling like i've been meditating or you know whatever it's just
2: that great feeling of oh that was really nice really (laughs) okay yeah so it's it's one percent of it the rest or is dealing with a the bu- even a half a percent is dealing with the management of the bureaucratic um, legal business employees
1: yeah. uh, i mean all of the different things of running a business are not really all that fulfilling or what i mean it's not my goal to be a businessman that's not yeah. my goal but um, when i'm designing things i really enjoy it actually and then on the other end of the spectrum you know when i can walk into a space and see that we've accomplished what we were going to accomplish And especially when I have a client who's asked for something and is standing there saying, oh, it's just like you said it would be. I can stand here and I can see so-and-so playing in there and I can see so-and-so playing (laughs) there and the dog can come in here and it's all all just the way that we wanted it. You know, I do get a really good feeling about that.
2: That's terrific. Let's touch back on that when we return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM.
0: Teach for America is a national core of outstanding recent college graduates and professionals who commit to teaching for two years in urban and rural public schools in lower income areas nationwide. If you're a college senior interested in being part of this core, or if you'd like to help support the program, visit teachforamerica.org.
2: We're talking today with Ellis Schuykitz. Principal ASA Architecture. I like that, EASA. For more information, you can visit www.easaarchitecture.com. That's EASAarchitecture.com. Ellis, what recent projects are you working on, if you're at liberty to share with, that uh, are pretty pretty unique?
1: Well, I think we've got a couple of interesting things going on now, and you know it's hard to know where things go. These things sort of unfold over a long period of time. But uh, right now we're working on a project that's a live-work building in Burlingame. And uh, as far as we know, there haven't been any to date. So this is kind of a guinea pig project, the way that I'm looking mm-hmm. at it. Wow. And we're in the process of going through the planning department reviews on it and being buffeted by many of the things that I was talking about before. And uh, so we'll see what happens with that. You know, the current big issue is housing and trying to figure out how to get more housing into our communities that in general feel like they're completely built out and don't have the capacity for any more people but i think there's different aspects to that that people who live in a community want their kids to be able to live in a community or they want to stay in a community so they recognize the the need for new housing however they don't want it next to them necessarily and they don't want it to affect them and they don't want additional traffic and all of that and i think many of the suburban communities along the peninsula sort of look at themselves as suburban rather than urban and again there's this sort of uh it's the transition uh if you're a suburban community do you stay suburban forever is it locked in is the way it is now the way it's always going to be or is there a transition where suburban communities urbanize and become denser and more congested and all of that because of the general development and you know sort of just general progress uh, of um, of growth and all of that I mean the the economy we have is predicated on growth so the idea that certain areas wouldn't grow and all other areas would take the growth it's an interesting one but it has led to some sort of collateral problems which is sort of uh too much greenfield development too much driving freeways access traffic all of these things and these are very complicated
2: and contentious issues how have you dealt with them Do do you share your opinion to uh legislature i mean have you ever gone to uh uh not just the design review boards, but even approach mayors and city councils about some proposed solutions for it?
1: Um, I guess the, the short answer is yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not consistent about it because it's, uh, it's hard to get free time to do things like that. For me, um, I'm pretty embedded in all the projects, and, and they kind of fill up all my bandwidth. But in years past, uh, I was very active in the local San Mateo AIA, that's the American Institute mm-hmm. of Architects, and through our local chapter, we had a tradition of doing things that were called charrettes, and what they were is sort of volunteer, volunteer days where it, there would be months and months of preparation for a single day of volunteer effort in order to try and address a specific problem for a specific agency or nonprofit, and so. We did many of them. I I don't think we've done one recently, but um, we've done many of them where, let's say, we negotiate with the city of Burlingame, and we did one on the Broadway Overcrossing, and we did one on Howard Avenue, and we did, they're escaping me right now. There were many, many of them. And on a couple of them, I was chairman and that, or co-chair on those, Mm. and putting those together is always very exciting. How
2: was the impact of that? Uh, when you, when you, while you were doing them and when you were doing them? Well, it, it, the
1: impact is, is, there's always a question about the impact because as making recommendations from the outside where a project might not be funded or anything like that, it's more of an inspirational thing and an inspirational thing for what could happen. So the Broadway charrette was, I don't, I don't even remember how long ago, okay. and decades passed, but... Now they've got an over, they're building an overcrossing oh, yeah, yeah. there. They just remodeled the whole thing. They're trying to connect the town to the bayfront. So, um, I, you you can't see the ideas of what's actually built. You go back and take a look as to whether that was the spark for it. But I think that the idea that you could take something that's less than ideal and and brainstorm and figure out ways to make it better is an inspiration to the city and mm-hmm. to the the community. Of what could be done and um you know it's, it's interesting we did the south of burlingame avenue charrette, and it was sort of focused around howard avenue and howard avenue hasn't really this is in burlingame hasn't really developed but i was driving down burlingame avenue this morning and noticed that there's a little alley that was kind of like this down and dirty little alley <laughs> that co- goes between howard avenue and burlingame and they had done a remodeling of burlingame avenue and there was this beautiful trellis thing at the entrance to Hatch Lane, which was this alley. And we had done, you know, some of the people in the charrette had done sketches of how you would get lighting and stuff like that and make that into a beautiful little pedestrian walkway. And now so, it's being done. Well, uh, part, of it, part yeah. of it at some level. Yeah. Uh, we did a charrette on San Mateo Central Park. And while I don't know how that's gonna all be implemented, the city is now working on things. That you know the community meetings and the th- things that they did, the, I think the spark for that came from uh,
2: from that charrette. And I so, love that. No, because I'm of the strong, strong opinion, with uh, quite a lot of facts to back it up, that that cities ought to have an architect on the uh, on staff, if not a mayor of. Well, Jack Matthews was the mayor of San Mateo yeah. twice. Um, when when that happens, my firm belief is, and there's case studies for it, is, is it the city Overall, benefits greatly. What's your, your thought on that? Well, I
1: think I think, uh, a good leadership is good leadership and it doesn't necessarily need to be an architect. Okay. But I mean, I, I always loved the fact that Jack Matthews was mayor of San Mateo. I yeah. used to call him Mr. Mayor. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. And.
2: Uh, oh, he's right around the corner from you. He's then, right okay. around the corner. Yeah. He's on
1: the same block that we are. Yeah. Um, and I think that It's more a matter of where where the real benefit comes from is design thinking is is the way I'd express it. Is that, you know, architects, not all, but many have an education that really sort of leads to questioning the way things are and coming up with different ways to do things, new ways to do things, ways to improve things. That's sort of what we do in the built realm but it's not necessarily limited to the built realm. So if you get somebody who's a creative thinker and not completely locked in by the way things are and can visualize alternative realities and, and ways, different approaches to get different results, then you're gonna have a good leadership, a good leader. Yeah. And also I think just in parallel with that, it's just the business of being an architect where you're the lead consultant, you're Managing structural engineering, civil engineering, plumbing engineering, you know, um, all of the different consultants, structural engineering required and and basically corralling all of those different talents to one purpose, which is to create this building where all of those things have to work in, in concert perfectly. Yeah. That's also a, a similar skill to what would be, you know, sort of in a public official like a mayor or something like that. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, architects are well qualified to do it. But on the other hand, yeah. they're busy. Okay. <laughs> Too okay. busy to do it a lot, a lot of the time. Uh, but Jack was a wonderful example of, of yes, uh, somebody yes. combining
2: those. Yeah, there's a couple of others that I'm aware of. Liz, Liz Gibbons is in the city of Campbell is an architect. But anyway, I, I've said enough. I'm, I'm pro uh, having an architect. And for those reasons you just stated there's a the whole thought process. It's kind of in a, a DNA to look at the totality of an entire city or a community from that prism or those prisms. Um, the business of being an architect, you've shared with us a number of the challenges are. Do architecture schools prepare architects or future, uh, potential prospective architects for those challenges and that responsibility from, from your, uh, your experience? I, I don't know how
1: to approach it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a question that's being debated always okay. uh, between the academics and the practical side of architecture because there really are two complete different disciplines and ideally they come together and that's the perfection of it that there's this technical discipline of creating buildings and it requires having clients and you know dealing with money and all of these things and budgets and schedules and reality and there's this academic practice, which is the ideal creation the creation of these ideal forms and ideal programs that don't necessarily have any, any focus in reality. But I think it gets back to what we were saying before, which is the, the key is if you're able to be somewhere or, you know, presented with something or whatever, and that you don't take the way it is as the way it has to be.
2: I mean, I think that's the key. Say that again, you don't take away...
1: Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're talking about, you don't necessarily take the way that things are as the way they have to be. Okay. You can think out... I mean, it's, I guess the simple way to put it is you can think outside the box. Okay. The box being the way things are. Your thinking process, not necessarily limited, you can see that the way things are, are the way they are because of whatever you know things made it that way but that that's not inevitable and that pressure applied in certain ways could change things or you could think about a different way to do it or a different way to arrive at something so the academics of an architect's education to the extent that they're really effective are To teach people how to see and how to think and how to not be satisfied with the way things are and how to create alternatives and how to judge whether they're working or not and all of those things where the academics tend to fall short is in the technical aspects uh, because most architectural schools don't really focus on the technical aspects. So when somebody comes out of school, typically there is a real rough start because there's no guaranteed jobs, first of all. And then it's almost guaranteed that the person coming out of school isn't well adapted to what actually has to happen in the office. Yeah. So that's a
2: tough one. It's always been a tough one. Yeah. This is The Modern Architect in KZSU, 90.1 FM, Stanford.
0: Life Moves, formerly the InVision Shelter Network, has 40 years of experience helping to end the cycle of homelessness for families and individuals in San Mateo and Santa Clara counties. Life Moves provides interim housing and support services that create opportunities for those affected to rapidly return to stable housing and long-term self-sufficiency. Life Moves relies on generous financial contributions as well as donations of gently used clothes, furniture, or household items. To learn how you can volunteer or donate, visit www.lifemoves.org.
2: We're talking today with Ellis Schuykett, Principal of EASA Architecture in San Mateo, California. For more information, visit EASAarchitecture.com. That's EASAarchitecture.com. Ellis, with architecture constantly evolving, the expectations for uh, emerging Architectural buildings evolve as well. What's changed, say, in the last five or ten years, in your experience? I don't know exactly.
1: You know, things are always changing. Okay. Um, the building codes are evolving. People's needs are evolving. The
2: For the need... better, sometimes?
1: Well, I think it's all relative. I mean, I think uh, build, building, uh, okay. <laughs> building, building codes are intended to enforce safety. Uh, And then in recent years, probably the last 25, 30 years, they've become increasingly focused on energy efficiency and sustainability, which they weren't so much focused on before that. But that's, you know, much, a much longer arc than just the last five or 10 years. Okay. So that's good. I mean, I think that uh, in the last five or 10 years, especially in the Bay Area, this idea that there's just not enough housing and the way that the, the the regulatory environment discourages or uh, obstructs the development of additional housing and the way the economy is just sort of you know putting the need for additional housing on steroids <laughs> has created this this just total misfit that's become what many people call a crisis and uh, you know i think it's an ongoing thing maybe it's not a crisis it's just an ongoing
2: disaster in a lot of ways <gasps> Wow, an ongoing. Des- what's what's? Are your proposed solutions f- for this? Are you just your thoughts of Hey, you know, here's a couple of things I can think of that might work. Well, I don't know. Or at I'd least uh, look at you know. Uh,
1: I, I yeah, think if in- you're at
2: liberty to share with us, you know, you, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I, I think it's yeah.
1: hard for an individual to have a big influence on policy like that, but I think that there are things that are happening that uh, that are in play, that are interesting and. Uh, It again has to do with this idea of transitioning and all of that, where the reason we're working on a live-work building in Burlingame on California Drive is because part of the process of creating a new downtown-specific plan for the city of Burlingame in recent years was how do do they, how do we, I'm a resident of Burlingame Mm -hmm. too, create additional housing and housing has never been allowed on California Drive even though that's the main bus route and wow. the train the train stations are there and the BART station is down the road in Millbrae. but housing's never been al- allowed there so one of the th- things they've come up with is the idea of allowing a live work type use on California Drive and it's sort of a cautious way of doing it but that wow. is going to bring additional housing but the tr- you know the the transition is is that California Drive is a very commercial street but just around the corner, it's residential. And so by upping the density of housing on the commercial street, you create a friction between the residential use. That example I gave you before of building a building in front of somebody's yes. living room window. Well, that's that's a concrete example. I'm not just making that yeah, up. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, is at the state level, you know, there's been legis- legislation proposed. Uh, I, uh, I, f- I forget who's the proposer of it, to take some of the zoning limitations out of the hands of local jurisdictions and create a statewide blanket requirement where the zoning up zones all areas on streets wider than 40 feet that are with, you know, near transit. So there's gonna be a lot of pushback. There's even pushback in Berkeley on this. And uh, right now the the supervisor race in San Francisco is going to be partially motivated by some of the western neighborhoods in san francisco where they're single family homes still and the idea that some of these streets and especially on the commercial avenues that you could build up to four or five stories and so this is going to be a fight that's going on where there's pressure to figure out ways to push jurisdictions to allow the development of more housing and the pushback from those who you know justifiably think that their life is fine and nobody should come in and build something next to them so and this is a battle that's ongoing it's been ongoing for a long time but it's gonna it's gonna come to a head i think over the next few years
2: yeah it it sounds like it sounds like it how about the the live work idea was that something you proposed to them no no they they no no
1: this this is a long process that sort of bubbled up from many things and uh towns uh part of the way that towns work in terms of zoning is is that they have to have a master plan uh it's state man. it's a, i believe it's a state mandate mandated thing so every town has a, a master plan and i believe they have to update it every 10 or 20 years uh so they can become a little bit stale but that's how you end up with zoning being the way it is and this being an industrial zone and that being a single yeah, family okay. residential zone but they also the towns have the power to create special areas where they want to do something special. And so they can create a special district and they can tweak the zoning in that area in order to accomplish their goals. And so, you know, Burlingame had had many goals in doing a downtown specific plan, but I think one of them was to figure out how you could make that area, which the Caltrain station is right in the middle of and is well served by transit, make it more, provide more incentives and more ways that developers could Create housing in that area.
2: Yes. How's your experience working with developers? Are they responsive to a lot of your suggestions, or is it really driven by, you know, the dollar or a little of both?
1: I, I think it's a balance of both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the the dollars, you know, obviously are the most important thing because without oh. them, there is nothing. <laughs> it's all just
2: an exercise. I like that. It's all just an exercise without that. Yeah. So you're very obviously you're sensitive to that. How about your affecting policy in cities specifically? Are you able to ever influence policies before they are they're made, or even influence that they ought to be made as an architect? Um, I, well, I, I don't think know if you get into that, I know your your time is, is very limited in that sort of legislative activism, but it could be impacting. Them. Yeah,
1: well, I think I think uh, volunteer actions are really an important thing to do and uh, I only wish I could do more of it. But I, I think that uh, acting through through sort of groups like the AIA, you know, I, have a, I would highly recommend that to anybody, that you can leverage your own individual time by working with a group of like-minded people and through that charrette process that we would do or other things where a city would be doing, you know, Santa Mateo was developing a design review. That wasn't a design review. It was a height limit back in the early 90s and our AIA put together a little committee to sort of like meet with them and figure out what the things that they were proposing would, what the implications of those things would be. Um, and then, you know, during the, the charrettes and other times where we're communicating with city officials, just having the conversations and bringing up the ideas and other ways of thinking about things, um, you know, it, it's a slow process. Nothing happens overnight and nobody's in charge. It's so, again, nothing
2: of, happens overnight and nobody's in charge? Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's true. Things. I mean, we do live in a democracy, for better or for worse, and so <laughs> things evolve slowly. And it's a matter of sort of floating ideas and getting ideas to get generally accepted and then possibly implemented. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess one example would be, just to get very, very specific, is... Um, there used to be a zoning rule where, uh, in a certain zone, um, you cu- in a certain zone you couldn't have two separate buildings. You you couldn't have two buildings that people lived in. So there okay. could be a building that was an apartment building or something, and there would be a separate building that had parking in it. But you couldn't split the buildings and have two buildings on a property with people living in them. Okay, and I. I I complained about that a little bit. You know, I don't know if it was effective or not, but in uh, one of the zoning updates, that's gone now. So, aha. Uh-huh. so there has been an example of, I don't know if that, yeah. I think I, I would be overstating it to say that it was, yeah. it was, you know, something that I said that caused it. But I think it's an idea that, you know, it's time was past
2: because
1: yeah. it was meaningless.
2: Yeah. So even when you experience success, they, it's not like they said, thanks to you, Ellis. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and it wouldn't be true.
1: It wouldn't be true. Okay. There's so many people who are involved in these processes, and there's no way to know exactly how what, what crooked path it went to get to where it was.
2: Yeah. Your clients, are you... Are they reflective of your, uh, your vision for their, their projects? Or you kind of, obviously you have to collaborate on that, but how would you describe a lot of your clients? I know it's a general question, but what makes them go seek Ellis out to say, hey Ellis, I'd like you to do whatever it is. And uh, how, do you, how do you reach them and how do they reach you? Or is it kind of both? That's a lot of questions. Yeah, it is. I was like five in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I, I over question my own self. Yeah, That's no, not no. too uncommon. I'm but. not sure if I can remember back to the first question <laughs> to get the Yeah. The, the okay. Next so one. your clients do you find your clients? Do your clients find you? How do how do typically you 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 engage with them? Yeah, so I, I think
1: you know, you had asked sort of are are we of the same mind? Well I mean I think typically the way that I approach my specific business is that I'm not creating something for myself. I'm creating something for my client. So what that goes down to is is that it's the client's vision for what they're looking for. And then my job is to figure, this is the way I see my own business. I mean, there are other people who do it other ways. Uh, (laughs) but, But my business, what I'm trying to do is to figure out what it is that the client's trying to achieve and achieve it so that when the client comes and looks at the finished product, whether they knew what they wanted exactly at the beginning or not, they would look at it and go, "Oh yeah, this is this is just what I wanted." Yeah. Uh, you know, I know there are other architects who are very, you know, settled on exactly what they provide, and the client comes to them to get what they provide, their style, their vision, and you sign up for them. That's not really okay. the kind of business that I have. Although it's a certainly a viable different way of approaching it, mm-hmm. it, it just hasn't worked out for me that way over the years. Okay. So then, you know, you were asking how I differentiate myself. There you go. And really, over the years, I've just realized that I am who I am and I do what I do and that I can't just sort of cut out the design work and the obsessiveness about making everything right. So what I do is I sell myself as a person who will focus on the client and what the client's looking for and work extremely hard to make that happen. And so if a client is looking for somebody to figure out how to solve their problem and they're interested in having somebody really engage with them and go through the process of working it through, then we can connect and I could become their architect, I could work with them. Um, there's many, many times when somebody's just looking for somebody to produce, you know, to, I, can't you just put a room on there? Or uh-huh. can't You, know, you said or, many, many times. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I talk to, you know, for every job, I'm talking to 20 people. So, you know, for every job okay. that I get, there might be 20 that I'm, or 19 that I'm not getting that aren't a good fit. Um, The idea of sort of the architecture and design as a commodity, sort of just we're just going to do what's next door or this or that or other. I tend to not take those projects. Those tend not to be the greatest fit for me. Whereas the ones where there's something special about the design or something complicated about it tend to be a better fit for the way we work. And I don't know if that's just... I don't know which side that comes from, whether okay. it's for me or from the clients, or it just sort of evolves that way.
2: What percentage is commercial, residential, or hospitality? Do you have a specialty? Well, I think my
1: specialty over the years has evolved as as residential remodels and additions, sort of very aggressive and large remodels and additions I like that, that you're transform. In yeah, it. well, we okay. call them we call them. Uh, I have a term for it, which is escaping me right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes. He but, escaped you. <laughs> but where we, we where we really
1: we really change the house. You know, okay. we grab a hold of the
2: house, we shake it really hard, and we make it into something different. Nice, nice. Alice, is there anything else that uh, we've covered? You know, quite a bit here, and there's even more that I'd love to. We just don't have enough time to to talk about. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience that uh, we may not have covered? If you can recall, about you, about the practice.
1: Yeah. Well, I just remembered what we call them extreme, remodel. extreme yeah. remodels. Extreme yeah. remodels.
2: Ah, so okay. I
1: mean, we have you know, there's ones where we call them sympathetic remodels, where we're trying to sort of keep the house that's words, the way it is. That? Yeah. Like the way okay. we keep the house the way it is, and we just make it everything that's not up to par up to par, and what we do is in sympathy with the existing, and then in some cases it's really it's an extreme remodel where we're really keeping the site and the location possibly the landscape but the house itself is being completely transformed excellent and yeah as far as your last question goes i don't have that much to say except that you know yes, people you should always keep, differ but people should just always keep an open mind that the way things are is not the way it has to be not that it's easy to make changes or anything like that and that's the way i would
2: leave it outstanding Ellis, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you. Thank you very much for being on our show. We hope you consider coming back soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ellis. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Ellis Scheuchet, principal of EASA Architecture. EASA Architecture specializes in providing creative architectural design services with an unwavering attention to detailed design, service, and execution. For more information feel free to visit www.easaarchitecture.com that's easaarchitecture.com join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect engineer influencer or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities communities and lives
0: the modern architect is recorded at stanford university studios and Mobile in palo alto california and the bay area and it's a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Caleb B. Smith. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diarro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.